Welcome to Career Tools. This week, your annual career checkup, part one. The questions this class answers are, what is a career checkup? Why would I want to do a career checkup? And how often should I do a career checkup? Hey everyone, Kate here. The latest update to the Manager Tools app includes the ability to track coaching and delegation with Roadmap. So if you're a licensed member, you can access Roadmap through the Manager Tools application. And now that app will track all of your Trinity behaviors, including coaching and delegation. Figure out who to coach and on what using Roadmap. It'll even walk you through the steps and help you to set goals and deliverables around coaching. You can also add photos of your notes to each coaching instance to keep track of your handwritten one-on-one notes for that particular coaching scenario. Use Roadmap to decide the who, what, and how of delegating to your team members, all within the recommended timeframes for Trinity rollout. We'll remind you when and how. It's like having the Trinity in your pocket. Sarah, once a year, we're suggesting that we all should do a career checkup because it's so easy to let the years pass and not think about the direction your career is going in and suddenly find yourself somewhere you don't want to be. You and I were talking about this last week. It came up on LinkedIn that it was your four-year anniversary with Manager Tools and you said, I've been telling everybody it's been three for (laughs) life. It's like when you get old and you're like, oh, I've been telling everyone I'm 45 for three years. Right. because they all blend into each other. So what we're going to try and help you do is take a moment, take take a couple of hours, a couple of hours from a year isn't very much, and think about your career, where you are, what you're doing, what you want to be doing more of, and so on. And we're going to give you a checklist so that you can work through it and, and think about all those issues and decide whether, you know, next year I'm just going to do the same thing or next year I want to do something completely different because... I want to do that in preparation for something that I want in the future. So we're going to start with your current situation, and we have a number of sub-parts to that, but if you have that in your head, right now we're in the current situation. The check-in itself comes in two stages. First, there's a lot of information gathering and thinking about yourself, what you want to do, what your plans are. Then there's a list of actions that you're going to take. And those will be directly influenced by what you learn in doing that self-examination. So, for example, we're going to tell you to continue to learn by taking at least one course, one professional development experience per year. Now, what that course should be will be entirely dictated by your self-analysis, a market analysis, and the direction that you decide you want to take your career in. We definitely recommend that you read or listen to this guidance first so that in that information gathering phase, you can make sure you gather all of the necessary information that you're going to require in order to decide on your plan of attack. Right, because if you're a high D on the disc scale, <laughs> the disc profile, you've just gone, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make a bunch <laughs> yes. of decisions. That's easy. Please wait. <laughs> listen to everything do the information gathering, and then make the decision. Because you know, because I know, because I too am my ID, we make decisions that don't turn out well. We have to redo them. (laughs) Absolutely. We absolutely do. Be patient. So we're going to start off with uh, analyze yourself. Mm -hmm. And the self-analysis is really about asking yourself questions to better understand what you do, why you do it, 
on what things you might want to do more of in the future, and inversely to that, what things you might want to do less of in the future. Even if you've done some self-analysis in the past, it's really important to repeat the exercise regularly. What we like to do and what we want to do absolutely changes over time. Part of that is because what's important to us is continually changing, especially as we get older, partly because our experiences then change what we want, and partly because the environment around us changes. You could still, at this point in your career, really want to be an elevator operator. That said, there are fewer opportunities out there in the job market, so you just might want to consider that. All of them have a roughly equal, I would say, influence on what you want to do, what's important to you, what you want, and the environment. Because if what you want is to be an elevator operator and there are none, the environment is saying, yeah, we know what you want, but you can't have it. So then you've got to find something else. So the most important thing about self-analysis is not to fool yourself. No one is going to see these results. No one is going to see your answers unless you choose to share them. Don't change your answers to be more impressive to yourself. It's just silly. Like, don't think, oh... I really want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, any of those those glamour professions. I really want to be a TV host. If you don't actually want to do those things, if you read any of the log, uh, blogs from lawyers who, who work in what they call big law, so big law firms, they spend a lot of money on their education. They have a really difficult education. They have to work very hard and then they work, you know, 15-hour days for not very much, and the promise of a partnership in the future. And for some people, that's what they want. They're willing to go through that pain. They enjoy whatever it is that lawyers do on a day-to-day basis, but they enjoy the research, they enjoy the writing, they enjoy the negotiation, because most lawyers don't work in courts. Most lawyers do not do litigation. Most of them work in offices, just like the rest of us. And if those are all things that you want to do and you're willing to sacrifice for, then sure, write down you want to be a lawyer. But don't write down you want to be a lawyer if you think, oh God, the thought of 15-hour days every day of the week for five years just kills me. Don't write it down. Don't try and say, oh yeah, I really want the fancy suit and to be saying, I object in court because one, that's not what a lawyer does and two, If that's the only impression you have, if that's the only two things you want, then you're going to be disappointed in being a lawyer. So don't write it down. Don't don't think that's what I want to do. Be honest with yourself about what you want to do and what you're willing to do. And if there is something like a lawyer or a doctor or one of those professions that you're interested in, but you don't know what it's really like, then go find out what it's really like. That's what we've had casts about informational interviews. We've had casts about... Uh, career advice interviews, go find out what it's really like and then decide whether or not you want to do those things because there is a lot of people who say, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I'd known at the beginning what it was really like and what I was putting all my um, school fees towards my school loans. And there's, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be a doctor or a lawyer or an architect or any of those things. There's plenty of people who do want to do them, so they don't need you to swell their ranks if you don't actually think that you're going to enjoy it. 
And it's also fine to decide that, you know what, I really like this job. I'm learning. I'm growing. I like the people I work with. It's convenient. I'm going to stay here for another year. There's nothing wrong with that intrinsically. We're not saying, but just because you're doing this checkup, you have to make changes. What we're doing is getting the information, understanding it, and then making a decision. And the decision is, it's okay to have a decision that's, I'm not going to change anything. What you do have to do is continue growing, continue learning, because one of the things you have to remember is that everybody else around you is improving. The company is reducing costs and increasing revenue. The people around you are learning. They're doing new things. And if you're not improving, you're not standing still. You're going backwards because the gap between you and everyone else is is widening. It's like being on the slow train. You might be moving forward very, very, very slowly, but the fast train overtook you and is continuing to go forward really quickly. And the gap between you and them is increasing. And eventually the standard will be where they are and you won't be reaching the standard. So although deciding not to change is an option, we do also need to take into account that everybody else is changing. And so you don't want to be left behind. Absolutely. Having an understanding of yourself makes every day work life just so much easier. So for example, if you know that you don't enjoy presenting, then you also know that you need to take more preparation time, you need to rehearse more in order to feel comfortable when you do have to present. Now, it doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant that somebody else in your team is able to comfortably just stand up and start talking to the group. There are people that can do that. And if you're not one of those people, it doesn't matter. Your presentations can be just as good. All that differs is that your presentation needs to be prepared for in a different manner. So you're going to ask yourself, one, what am I good at? What activities come easily to me? What things do people say that I'm good at? And what things do I think other people make a big deal of? (laughs) That's a really interesting question. So first of all, look at your calendar and your email to remind yourself of all the activities that you do. Make a list and then rank them in order of ease. It's usually the things that we find easiest that we're best at. Now, the opposite is not true. The things that you're good at aren't necessarily the things that you like doing, but the things that you find easiest are usually things that you like doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, back at the beginning of the cast, I think it was, Wendy said that you don't have to share your list with anyone. When you're doing your self-assessment, do it in an honest light. However, at this point, you just might want to share it with a trusted colleague or with your manager even, depending on your relationship with them. If you're new to self-analysis, you may very well miss things that you're good at because your brain says to you, well, those things are easy to everybody. Everyone can do them well and easily. And this is often not the case. We tend to assume that those things that come easily to us also come easily to other people. So for that reason, you yourself may have left something off of that list while you were creating it, not realizing that it's a skill that you possess that others may not. 
So showing your assessment to a trusted colleague can be oftentimes very helpful in making sure that the things you're good at list has everything on it that it should. Or a friend, it just occurred to me, a friend who you work with in a volunteer capacity, uh, some other organization where, you know, your your employment is not tied up with this self-analysis. But, you know, if for me, if I went to someone in my Toastmasters group and said, what am I good at? Or here's my list of things that I'm good at. I think they know me well enough. They've, they've seen me create things. They've seen me uh, organize things. They've seen me present they've seen me in groups of people they've seen me one-to-one where I think that they would help they would be able to help me with my list of things that I'm good at so it doesn't necessarily need to be someone at work and I can understand that there would be worries that you know that your work is tied up so so the next questions are what do I enjoy doing what things could I do all day every day and what things do I look forward to doing So this is about things that you like doing. The one thing I could do all day, every day is interview. I love interviewing people. I look forward to interviewing people. And you can also do this in reverse. So you can look at the list and say, what things do I hate doing? What things do I put off? And what things do I not do entirely? (laughs) And then my boss says to me, you know, I've been asking you for three months to do this and you've been avoiding doing it. So just do it. It is possible to avoid doing things entirely at work for a period and then you get caught up. Uh, If that's something that you're supposed to be doing, someone catches you out. Uh, So this is about enjoyment and not enjoyment. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And it's true, the things we enjoy, those are usually the things that we're good at. I know myself, I really enjoy playing sports to which I naturally excel. Things like golf, for example. I don't enjoy golf because I'm not naturally gifted at golf. So I kind of avoid it. It's not my favorite. It feels good to be good at things. The reverse isn't necessarily true. Being good at something doesn't necessarily mean you'll enjoy it. It means you're good at it. And once you know the answers to these questions, you can start to think about what you want to do more or less of in the future. So uh, potentially you discover that as a salesperson, your most favorite part of the job and the part that you're best at is dealing with customers. Your least favorite is paperwork. That suggests that your career path should not be to become a sales manager where you'll have no contact with customers, you'll be doing all of the paperwork (laughs) on behalf of the remainder of the sales team. Rather, you probably ought to focus on being a more customer-facing type role. I think there's a myth in the workplace that everyone should want to be a manager. You know, the idea of like climbing the ladder or being promoted is always about being a manager. And there are some organizations, when I worked in IBM, they had a two-track promotion Uh, scheme, one which was you could become a manager, but they also had a technical scheme. So you just became a more senior technical person. So if your skill was, you know, I'm also, you know, middleware development, you carried on doing middleware development, you just got bigger and bigger projects to do. And you worked with different clients and so on, rather than forcing someone who is technically gifted into being a manager, just because you want to promote them. And 
think for for ourselves, we can also think, okay, I'm an awesome salesman. I'm really good at this now. So my next step is sales manager. And then you go into sales management and you hate it because the skills, the the things that you do on a day-to-day basis in that job are not the things that you're good at. The idea of this, of looking at the things that you're good at and really thinking about those things and what you want to do more of is about not putting yourself into a pigeonhole, not not saying, okay, my next step must be this, when that this isn't going to fulfill you. That's absolutely true. This self-assessment activity is something that you can do at any time. It doesn't matter if you're 30 years into your career, but you've never, ever planned it out this way. Starting now is the first step. On the flip side, it doesn't matter if you did this self-analysis two years ago. Do it again. We're constantly changing. We're changing over time. Our desires are changing. Even what we're good at changes based on the scenarios and situations we've been in in the past. So you can't necessarily rely on a self-analysis from five years ago to steer you today. This is a continuous activity through life as we grow and we change as, as individuals and as professionals. So right back earlier, I, I talked about high Ds and how they make decisions and then regret them. Our next point is take DISC. So the DISC profile is a short profile. It's 28 questions. It'll take you less than 15 minutes. And what it tells you, what it asks you is a series of questions about your behaviors, the things that you do when you're at work. It divides you into D, I, S, and C. D for dominant. Those are the hard charging type A's, uh, high I, which are the salespeople, the people that are always smiling and have a million friends, the high S's, who are the quiet but caring people, and the high C's, who are the analytical people. And that was like a two-word summary of each of the profiles, (laughs) which just boxed everybody in. It's much more complex than that, but I just wanted to give everybody an idea. And you can take the DISC profile on our website. Just go to managertools.com and then search for DISC and it'll come up. And in our experience, everybody finds the results astounding. Everybody says, how did it know that was me from 28 questions? If you think the profile isn't you, ask your spouse or someone who's close to you because 99% of the time the results are right. My favorite is when people take it and they email us at customer service and they say, my profile isn't right for these reasons, A, B, and C. And it says, hi, C. <laughs> and like they, they got a seven in the high C. It's like, yes, it's right. You're a high C because only a high C would write an email with A, B, and C in it. <laughs> right, with bullet points in it. <laughs> it's it's funny uh even if you've taken this before if it's been more than three years or you've changed jobs take it again it's a behavioral profile it looks at what we do not what we are so it's not about your core personality it's about what you do on a daily basis core personalities do change over time uh there's a lot of research into the fact that our core personality changes in predictable ways as we get older but it's really really slow But the behaviors we engage in are much more mutable. An example of that is, and we talk about this in our conferences as far as the the DISC profiles are concerned, um, in that new managers engage in more high D behaviors. That is, they're more dominant. They're more comfortable saying no and telling people what to do. And because making decisions, a behavior that new managers are expected to engage in often, because they make those decisions... The new managers tend 
to become more of a high D. That is, they engage in more high D behaviors as a requirement of their new job. Anyone, for example, like myself, who finds themselves moving to a presenting or a training role will find themselves exhibiting more high I behaviors on a regular basis. And because those behaviors are more effective when presenting, we find we also start doing them in our daily life because of their effectiveness. They then become part of the behaviors we engage in on a regular basis. As a high C, an IT specialist who becomes a manager, they will, while remaining analytical, will need to engage in more of the high D, the, the dominant behaviors, as well as some of those training and presenting type behaviors as well. So a high C IT specialist, while their numbers prior to going into management could be at a 2137, that doesn't mean if they become a manager, their numbers are going to change over time to a 7711, um, what some <laughs> people would call on the extremes of high D, high I. But it's really likely that they're going to see a shift in their numbers, perhaps to over time, like a five, two, three, six over a few years, because they see benefit in some of those behaviors, they will exhibit them more often. And hence the behaviors they're likely to engage in, that is what the DISC profile is measuring, will change over time. Those behaviors become more natural as you do them more. And just to clarify those numbers, so it, there's four numbers. Each of them represents the strength of uh, the, the amount of behaviors you use in that profile. So if it, uh, we started at 2137, so that's 2 for D, uh, 1 for I, 3 for S, and 7 for C. So 7 is the top number. So this person is the most high C out of, if you imagine a scale of, Cness, they are the most <laughs> most end, and then we said seven seven one one. So this person is seven in a D, seven in an I, and then one in an S and one in a C. So seven again is the top. So they are most high D, most high I, and then one is the lowest number you can get. So least amount of S and C. If you go from a seven to one, that's that's a really extreme change. And that rarely happens. What happens is people move a couple of points or maybe three points over 20 years, but they might move like one point over three years when they change jobs or two points. So it, it is gradual. It's not overnight, but it is that our different behaviors become more natural to us. And the more natural they are and the more that we are finding them useful, the more we use them. And therefore that comes out on the disc profile. And knowing your disc profile gives you more information about the things you might be good at and want to do more of, and the things that you might be less good at and things you might want to do less of. So for example, high eyes are brilliant at de developing relationships. A high eye is the person you know who has two phones, who has five Starbucks that they're regulars at. If you ask them what they're doing, they'll say, oh, I'm going out with so-and-so tonight, but come with us because it'll be really fun. Like, the more the merrier, let's have you come too. The, the people who say, you know, when you say, how was your weekend? They had they had breakfast with one group of people, lunch with somebody else, dinner with somebody else, and then they went to a party afterwards. They are people who like to be surrounded by people. Absolutely. And they're really bad at finishing things and answering email 
and single-minded concentration work because their minds are full of people and, and you know they st- they start answering email and then they're like oh it's an email from bob that's awesome no, i haven't seen bob in ages i'm just gonna walk over and go see bob and talk to him and then they don't come back and finish the rest of their email so they may have talked to bob but they haven't finished their email but there's no choice Everybody has to answer email. That's just the world we live in. So high eyes need to find methods of managing email that makes up for their scattered tendencies. And we have a ton of podcasts about DISC. If you go to the website, uh, in the top right, there's a like a little, it looks like a little Sputnik thing. It's called the map of the universe. If you click on that and look for communication, you'll find all of the DISC profiles. And there's lots of casts about, you know, I'm a high eye. How do I do email? (laughs) and all the other things that different profiles find difficult. But knowing your profile helps you know what you're good at. As a high D, I'm a very decisive, moving very fast. And so one thing I'm really bad at is sitting down and listening to someone. I'd make a terrible manager because I don't want to hear your problems. I just want to solve them. That's the thing. We're so good at solving problems. Decision making, my number one thing. I can make it all day. I can fix that for you. No problem. And there are times when I have to sit down and listen to someone's problem, you know? And so it's good for me to know, okay, this isn't my natural thing. I'm not going to enjoy this, but I can... I can do it if I focus on it and I think about what I'm doing. That's absolutely true. As long as you know your weaknesses, if you make a choice, you can change the behaviors you engage in to be weak in a specific area. And... The next part of our puzzle is updating your career management document. Now, your career management document is, in essence, the record of your career. It looks a lot like your resume in that it has a list of your jobs and dates, the responsibilities and the accomplishments for each of those jobs as well. However, it's different in that it's not a document that anyone else ever sees. It's not shared with others. So it can be as long as necessary. A resume is that well-kept one-page document of who you are, right? What you want to show to the world. This document is information for you in-house that's got all of the detail, things you may not share with the rest of the world that you also want to track. And every time you update that document, You just add any new responsibilities and accomplishments. You don't need to worry about writing them in resume speak, right? Writing them well-formatted and well-versed for the outside world. Um, That and you can include as much detail as you like to help you remember for that time when you are using it to prepare your resume. And we have guidance specifically on the document, updating it and how to use it as part of the system of career documentation elsewhere as well. Yeah. Again, just search on the website website for career management document. In my head, it's a bit like when you're making cookies and you roll out the dough. That's your career management document. That's all the dough you have. And then, but when you take the cookie cutter and you make the little cookie holes, the you know the the circles for your cookies, that's your resume. The resume is a specific piece of your career management document. And it, and it's the piece you picked from the middle that looks really good uh, rather than, you know, the tatty edges or whatever. So if you think about that, the career management document is everything and the resume is something you, you create from that. So looking at your documents and adding new accomplishments will give you a different angle 
to the angles that we've already looked at for your career. So again, we were in the current situation. We've looked at the things you like doing. We've looked at what the disk profile tells you. And now we're asking, what does my career management document tell you? Tell me. And one of the things that it might tell you is, I have no new accomplishments this year. I have no new accomplishments since I added this. And an accomplishment in this sense is a very specific thing. It's a completion of a project. It's reducing cost. It's increasing revenue. Uh, it's the completion of something that can be quantified. Uh, so maybe you don't have any accomplishments, but is that because you didn't put any effort in? Did you just not finish anything this year? Are all your stats from this year the same as last year so you don't really have an accomplishment to put in there did you only meet the standard and not exceed the standard so you don't really have anything to put in there that's a conversation you have to have with yourself is there less opportunity like it could be your own motivation and your own activity that means that you don't have any accomplishments but it also could be the circumstances I find myself in at work mean that I have less opportunity if the company sells something that nobody needs anymore like fax machines I had to send a fax this morning who, oh, who wow. has a fax machine anyway right if your if your company sells fax machines and it hasn't worked out that nobody's buying fax machines anymore I, I guess the place I faxed it to was but um you know, and you're the sales guy and you're not managing to sell anybody new fax machines. That's not your fault necessarily. That's that's the company that you're in. So you might want to change to somewhere that's selling iPads or other new things. Are you still waiting for a promotion that was promised to you? Uh, we, have a, we have a podcast of that called The Dangle. And that's one thing that happens, you know, when people are doing well in a company, people will say, oh, we'll get you promoted next time around or we'll get you a pay rise next time around because there's only certain rounds of promotion or rounds of, of pay rise that happen at certain times of year. And then you, you miss that time of year for whatever reason. And your boss has a really good reason as to why you weren't promoted, but it will definitely happen next year. Well, if that's happening to you, you get to decide am I going to believe my boss? Am I going to believe that what he's promised two years in a row is actually going to happen? And if and if it doesn't happen, am I okay with that? Or do I want to find something else? This is a really good way of looking at your career in the way that you would have to look at it if you were going to an interview. So you would go to the interview and they'd say, so what have you done for the last year? If you have nothing to add, then you need to think about what you can do to make sure that you start adding things. Because again, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. Have you ever had a horrible boss? If you have, it is nowhere near the comedic adventure that the movie would lead you to believe it is. Having a bad boss feels less like a comedic farce and more like a horror movie. Register today at manager-tools.com forward slash training to join us for one of our effective manager conferences held internationally. We'll help you to not be the antagonist in your direct biography. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week and we'll carry on talking about your annual career checkup. <laughs>